Well, we are, uh, we're celebrating Easter this morning in the context of the last sermon in a sermon series entitled Resolved. And we've been looking since January. I was going to say this morning since January when it was cold, but it's cold outside right now. So stayed the same, but we've been looking at this notion of Jesus setting his face to Jerusalem. In chapter 9 of Luke's gospel, verse 51, it says that Jesus determined, he made up his mind, he set his face, he was going to go to Jerusalem in order to suffer and die so that you and I could be presented with the opportunity for salvation. This morning, we're going to turn the word just a little bit from that definition of determination to the notion of Jesus resolved our problem. It's been solved. It's been settled. And the resurrection uh, shouts that to us today. Uh, But it shouts it to us in a broken world, right? So we don't want to come to to church and just kind of pretend like everything's okay when it's not. Uh, We live in a fallen world. We live in a world where things go wrong. Even on Easter Sunday, right, things can go terribly wrong. Uh, Maybe you've you've had this experience when you've you've been on the Easter egg hunt and you've been kind of fighting for your eggs, but maybe some bigger guys kind of cut in front of you in the line and you ended up kind of kind of being at the end of the deal. I don't know if you can read the small the small print says Easter egg hunting. It's a highly competitive full contact sport. Uh, I know it was with our children. but whether it's, whether it's, you know, in your own home or in your community or in a national or international level, we're, we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus in the context of a world that, that at times can be really messed up. I don't know if anybody looked at their phone on the way in. My phone has alerts that go off. And I had an alert that, that hit my phone right before I walked in here. Villanova's victory last night has been vacated. And Kansas is playing the national championship because Villanova was found with severe recruiting violations in the last 12 hours. Have you heard this? April Fools. Our world is so broken, you go to a church where your pastor will lie to you about something like that. My friend, uh, Frank Cusimano, who, whose, whose job is sports, right? He was sitting over there at, at the 930 service against the wall. And I started saying this and I could see just sheer panic come over his face because he's like, how does the preacher know about that before me? How is that possible? And I had to swear them to secrecy. Don't worry. It's the only April Fool's joke I have, so don't blow it for me, right? But we live in a broken world. We live in a world that, that isn't right all the time. And so we don't want to play church. We don't want to pretend. We don't want to be foolishly naive. Because Scripture isn't foolishly naive. Scripture deals with the deep issues of our lives. And so we want to look at how uh, the key issues have been resolved by Jesus as Lord and Savior. So we're going to conclude our series in Luke chapter 24 this morning. I'm going to read verses 13 through 27. And we're going to see a couple of guys that, that were around Jesus. They were disciples. They weren't one of the 11 or one of the 12 apostles, but they were in the inner circle with Jesus. And we're going to meet them late in the day on the first day of Easter, uh, the first Easter. And we're going to, to see their fear and their anxiety and their disappointment. Uh, and then we're going to, uh, to see how their encounter with Jesus uh, perhaps begins to change all of that. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 27. And then I'm going to fill in a couple other verses at the end. Hear the word of God. That very day, that that first Easter, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened 
While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Literally, they stopped in their tracks uh, with their sorrow. And then one of them named Clopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Then verse 36 and 37. They're now back in Jerusalem. Uh, the, the two guys have seen Jesus. They've gone back to report to the, to the disciples, to the apostles, what they've seen. And now they're in the room discussing it. And Jesus shows up in the room. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they had seen a spirit. And then verse 44 through 48. And Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and and die and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we come to you this morning uh, celebrating Easter. Uh, In many ways, we're filled with joy and with thankfulness, but Lord, we're, we're not naive. We're not simpletons. We know that this world has not yet been restored. We know that death still reigns and that many people continue to wander and to be confused and to be hurt. Lord, for many this last week, we've seen the brokenness of this world firsthand. Not only we turn on the news, but in our own schools, in our own offices, in our own neighborhoods and homes. So, Father, we we want to hear your word as it impacts the most important and deep issues of our lives. We don't need platitudes. We don't need just somebody else's opinion that that kind of pats us on the head and says, it'll be okay, don't worry. Father, we need the truth. We need your truth. We need the only truth there is. And it is eternal, and it belongs to you. And so we pray that, as you promised in your word, you would share it with us this morning, that our eyes and 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 our ears and our hearts would be opened to your glorious truth. Father, we don't come here to hear the words of man. We come here to 
by your spirit and by your word here from you. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would teach us as the risen Lord, the King of kings, that you would help us to understand the glory and the beauty that is a relationship with you. Father, forgive my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of your proclamation of your gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So where we're headed this morning is simply this. We want to look for a few moments uh, at the, the meticulous planning and execution of God's redemptive salvation, God's redemption through Jesus, in order that we might get some comfort and some confidence as we face life's uncertainty. So when you leave here today, life isn't going to be uh, any more certain than it was when you walked in the room. There's still going to be something on the news tonight that catches you by surprise. There'll be some action or activity in your life that you'll look at and go, boy, I can't believe I continue to do that. I continue to make that choice or live that. Well, you'll continue to live in a broken world. But Scripture speaks to us in that context, not that we would, we would uh, just kind of bury our heads in the sands, but rather that we would see that God's intention for his people is, is to have an understanding in this life that we could have confidence, not in ourselves and not in our answers, but in him and the, and the salvation that he has provided. When you think about this first Easter for just a minute, you know, sometimes you're tempted to think, gosh, I wish I could have been there on that first Easter. I, you know, I kind of would have seen Jesus and everything would have been, you know, okay. Everything would have been fine. Everything would have been set right. And yet we see in the pages of this text, ordinary people like you and me that, that are, are experiencing the first Easter and they're filled with fear. They're filled with anxiety. They, they have a sense of complete and utter lost hope. If you've ever been on the end of the, uh, the receiving end of a phone call where surprising bad news came, right? Not necessarily something you were expecting, right? Jesus' disciples, a couple days before he went to the cross, were not expecting him to go to the cross. Now, Jesus says they should have known because the prophets and Moses spoke to it, but the facts are they were shocked. And if you've ever been shocked like that, you can almost become numb. You almost don't know what day it is or what time it is or what's going on because the intensity of the pain can be so deep. The first Easter was not, you know, kind of running through the fields and everybody clapping hands and hugging and, and being just really, really happy. It was filled with all kinds of struggle and anxiety, but it was also filled with God's response to our pain. The disillusionment that the disciples felt was going to be met with the answer that God provided for salvation. So I want to look at this text in, in just two ways this morning. The first is I, I want us to see very clearly the emotional and spiritual frailty that's common to humanity that's evidenced in this text. The folks that were struggling back then are just like you and me that struggle today. We want to look at that. We want to look at that uh, in three ways. We want to see the confusion and the ambiguity uh, with which they wrestle. We want to see the disappointment in their unmet expectations and ultimately their sorrow and despair. And if, we, and if we see that clearly, then I think we'll be able to joyfully embrace the second part of the sermon, which is the emotional and spiritual certainty that Jesus brings into our lives. But let's start with, with our frailty that's common to all humanity. The first is that we have confusion and ambiguity. Now, in verses 9 and 11, which I didn't read, it's the women who have gone to the tomb. They've been looking for Jesus. They, they were going to embalm him. Uh, they, they didn't find him, and they were told that he was risen. And it says this, returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. So the two guys we meet later on are in the room, 
And they hear this story and what's the reaction? But these words seemed to them to be an idle tale and they did not believe them. If you've ever been duped, I guarantee you the next time April Fool's Day falls on a Sunday and if you, if you fell for my little story, you're, he's not going to get me this time, right? And I'm not going to be fooled again, right? And the disciples think this is, this is nonsensical. It, it, it just doesn't make any sense. And they're filled with ambiguity. What do you mean you, you, you saw an empty tomb? But where was Jesus? You didn't see Jesus. What do you, an angel appeared to you? This makes no sense at all. Confusion and ambiguity. They did not believe them. So that later in the day when these two disciples are talking to Jesus, they say, some of those who were with us went to the tomb, found it just as the women said, but what? But him they did not see. We still don't have answers, right? This is, this is later on in the afternoon. And they're on their way to Emmaus. They're like, we're just as confused this afternoon as we were this morning. Uh, you ever feel that way when you, when, you, when you need an answer desperately and you can't quite find it? Uh, I loved The Far Side. I was so sad when Gary Larson stopped, uh, stopped doing his cartoons, but I'm going to give you a Far Side cartoon this morning, just let you take a look at it for a second. Uh, when it comes to the questions of confusion and ambiguity. Now, if you're not a Far Side fan, it won't make any sense to you. We have three researchers, and they're trying to get rid of a boomerang, and they all have knots on their head, right? Okay, just let it sink in a little bit. Some of you are getting it, right? What do we do with this thing? We throw it away and it keeps coming back, right? But that's my life, and I, and I think more than likely it's probably your life. I, I, I keep trying to get rid of this sin, and it just keeps coming back. I keep wanting to hope that the world will be a better place, that, 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 that genuine and honest racial reconciliation will really happen in the United States of America, and yet bigotry just keeps coming back. I wish that my marriage were stronger and I would say more kind words to my spouse, but the anger just keeps welling up in my heart. I, I don't know how to get rid of this confusion and ambiguity. Friends, take hope. If you feel that way at times, you're no different than the disciples on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And that confusion led to a disappointment with unmet expectations. So in verse 17, Jesus has joined them on the road and he says, hey, fellas, what's going on? And they don't recognize him yet, okay? And they look at him like, you gotta be kidding me, right? They, they stood still looking sad. Before they said anything at all, they're, they're dumbfounded that, that, that this person would ask this question. But then a sadness overwhelms. So why? Because they're, remembered of what just, they're reminded of what just happened. They're reminded that, that even with this rumor going around, as far as they know, the one they thought was Messiah is still dead and gone. And they're disappointed because they had hoped that he would redeem Israel. Look at what they say. Our chief priests and rulers delivered him up, condemned him to death, crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. You ever had your hopes dashed? You ever really wanted something and you really thought it was going to happen only to find out it didn't? Uh, wives tend to be on this side of the coin maybe more than husbands. I'm going to talk not necessarily about men and women, but about husbands and wives. Um, Guys, if you're a husband, have you ever bought the wrong gift? Right? Let me rephrase. Have you ever bought the right gift? Okay, right? <laughs> you know when it's a, the right gift because it looks like this, right? When you get the right gift, right, you got it. Look at the look on her face. She's happy. She's probably dumbfounded. She's probably saying, I'm glad I was sitting down because we've been married 17 years and you finally got me the right gift, right? More often than not, maybe you've been on this side of the coin. I've been on this side of the coin where <laughs> it, just was, it just wasn't quite the right gift. Now, some, some are better gift givers than others, but, but disappointment. 
unmet expectations. I've, I've told you the story before. I'll give you the real quick abbreviated version for visitors, but congregation knows this. Our first year we were married, I gave Cindy her birthday present on May the 6th. The only problem was May the 2nd was her birthday, and the other half of the problem was May the 6th was the birthday of the only girl I ever dated besides Cindy. And that, yes, the look you just gave on your face, yeah, and I, but the smile part, that didn't, that didn't show up at, at all. And that's nothing compared to what happened at our house that day. And rightly so, Cindy married a knothead. Disappointment, however, in, in unmet expectations when you're, when you're pinning all your hopes on it, right? Only to have the rug pulled out from under you. That's what it felt like that very first Easter, which led these disciples and, and many of the rest of us ultimately to sorrow and to despair. Look at verses 22 through 24. Uh, the, these, some of these women amazed us. They, they went to the tomb. They came back. They told us they didn't find the body, but they'd seen a vision of angels. And they said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. We, we've run to the end of ourselves. We, we, we have no hope. We, we haven't found Jesus. It would appear he's not the Lord. It would appear he is not the Messiah. And, and our disappointment now turns to sorrow and to despair. Martin Farrell is a uh, modern-day philosopher and thinker. Uh, and speaking about a Pulitzer Prize the last few years, he said this, it's personal, it is perfectly reasonable to despair, there's our, our word for the morning, to despair of a world where the Nobel Committee gives the peace prize to a man running a war. He speaks of, uh, of the, the, the foolishness uh, and the brokenness of this world, but then others have asked him, well, what would you do? What, would you have any answers? And he replied this way, truth is I have little or no idea about how to live a good life myself. And my experiences suggest that we are all equally baffled and all equally in need of ideas and advice. Science fiction is as good a source as any, in my opinion, maybe a better source than most. So there you have it. If you're feeling down and blue this morning, go read some science fiction, and that will cheer you right up. Sorrow and despair is a very powerful, powerful thing. The net result of all of this is that we, uh, we're left with questions that we, we simply cannot answer. We look and we seek, uh, we long for uh, significance in our lives, and yet we can't seem to find it. It seems to be continually elusive. And so therefore, what we end up doing is, is filling our lives with things that can't ultimately satisfy, uh, whether it's money or sex or, or possessions or wealth. Uh, we, we tend to pile on and pile on thinking that, that it will it'll soothe the soul and the emptiness will go away, only to find out that we're just as empty today as we were before we started uh, down the, our chosen pathway. Um, George Carlin was a comedic genius. Now, he was a incredibly off-color. I'm not suggesting anybody go home and listen to George Carlin this afternoon, but he was brilliant at what he did. He was no friend to Christianity, and yet he said something one time that was incredibly profound because it was incredibly accurate. He said this, filling our lives with things like wealth and possessions, assuming that, that they will satisfy us, is like being hungry and duct taping sandwiches to your body. Think about that for just a minute. That's a brilliant statement. 
going out and, and trying to, to ease my pain by, by filling it up with things that ultimately can't ease my pain. It's like being hungry and taking a sandwich. You go, boy, I, I sure feel better now that it's close to my body, right? All of this leads to a place of asking the question, is there genuine hope? Are there any real answers? I, I want to take you back to Pharrell for just a minute because notice what he said in his quote, right? We're all equally baffled and all equally in need of ideas and advice. Friends, ideas and advice aren't going to save you from the grave. Ideas and advice are not going to save me from the judgment that I deserve because of the sins that I've committed. And if that's our best hope, then we might as well all go out and party as hard as we can until the day we die because it's all meaningless. And that's where we find ourselves at the end of ourselves. And that's where these disciples found themselves. When they didn't understand that Jesus had actually risen from the dead, they had become hopeless and filled with despair. And that's where we begin to see God's answer because God doesn't leave us there. In fact, I think God actually leads us to these places so that we can see him more clearly. First thing I want us to see in the emotional and spiritual certainty of Jesus is that there's actually been a plan in place for quite some time. When, when Jesus starts to get after these two disciples, he said to them, y'all are, y'all are a bit foolish here. You know, you guys are, you're being more simple-minded than you need to be, right? He be, don't you believe, right? How have you been slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, right? What's Jesus saying to these two disciples? He's saying, you guys have read the Old Testament, right? From, from Genesis all the way through Malachi. Uh, you've read the, 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 the law of Moses and you've read the prophets. If you have a modern day Bible, you have an English Bible and you look towards the back of the Old Testament, you see all these really odd names, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nam, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, right? Those are all kind of different names than, than, we, than we use these days. Some are common to us. Those were all the prophets. Those were all the people that were speaking about whom? Speaking about Jesus. And Jesus says to, to uh, these two disciples, you guys aren't paying attention. You should have known what was going to happen. And then later on, when he's with the 11, he says the same thing to them uh, in verses uh, 46 and following. He says, everything that was written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Goodbye, confusion and ambiguity. It's not like God got to the cross and went, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll, I'll punish Jesus and then, and, then, and then maybe in a couple days we can raise it back to life. And Boy, we better think of something quick because the, the, the ship's about to, to sink and we've got a serious problem on our hands. Boy, I'm so glad I came up with that idea at the very last second. It's like, it's like throwing a Hail Mary before we knew that Mary was actually an important person, right? <laughs> it's not what happened. If, if you want to have a, a fun study, you want to get, if you're in the New Testament all the time, you want to have a fun study, go to the Old Testament and look up, if you can, all the prophecies about Jesus, right? There are hundreds of them. I'm going to show you 14 of them this morning, and I'm going to talk for five minutes about each one of them. Now, I'm just going to show you the 14. I'm not really going to talk about 14. I just want to see if anybody was still awake, right? From Moses through the prophets, here are just 14 things that are spoken, or excuse me, written about the Christ, that he would be a man, he'd be a human being, be from the lineage of Shem. Shem was one of the sons of Noah. Somebody got it right over there. Good job, All right? Okay, he would be Semitic. 
He would come from the line of Abraham. Not only would he come from the line of Abraham, but we learn at the end of Genesis that he would come from the tribe of Judah. When we get a little further into the scriptures, we find out that God makes a promise to King David and says the Messiah is going to come from your family. But he also makes another promise to David that he's going to be greater than you because he's before you, right? And he's going to be a priest like Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the priest that Abraham uh, met when he was coming back from a battle way back in the book of Genesis, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be born in Bethlehem. It's Easter. Remember way back to Christmas when we were concentrating on Bethlehem, right? And the wise men come to town. They go see King Herod. And they said, hey, we heard you had a, a son. Where's the king of the Jews? And Herod hadn't had a son. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. They said, well, we saw a star in the east. We've come to pay him homage. So Herod goes, he gets all the religious leaders together. He says, where's this kid going to be born, right? And they don't say, give us a couple days to do research, right? They don't say, wait a minute, let me look that up. I think I read that someplace. On the tip of their tongue, all instantaneously, they said, Bethlehem, for it is written, Bethlehem, though you're small among the clans of Judea, yet out of you will come, come one who will rule my people. The prophet Micah, they knew it immediately. They were not confused about it. He'll be called out of Egypt. He's God's son, but he's also the son of man. He's preceded by a messenger, a prophet like Elijah. That's John the Baptist. He will bring healing. He will be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver. That was written several hundred years before the life of Jesus. He will suffer and die for the trespasses of the people. He will rise from the dead, right? These are just 14. There are hundreds of them. There's a plan in place. God didn't, God didn't just decide at the last minute, knee-jerk reaction to try to fix something. It's been a plan that's been in place for all of eternity past, which means it's a plan that will be in place for all of eternity going forward. God's plan of salvation cannot be overstated. And that brings emotional and spiritual certainty to people who live in a very uncertain world. But also it meets the emotional needs of our lives. You think about some of the emotional needs you have. You think of love. You know, you want to give love to others and you want to receive love. You want to care for others. You want to receive care. You want to be of help to other people. And when you need help, uh, you want to be able to receive help. You want to be empathetic. You want to, you want to have an emotional connection between people. So it's not just that God has a plan, but is it a cold-hearted plan that doesn't, doesn't care about us? No, it's, it's one that connects with the deepest emotions of our heart. Uh, I should have warned you before you came into church today that you should have brought a Kleenex with you. And the next minute we'll explain why. Watch the screen. I want to stop here for just a second. Jessica's father called me. Jessica has a brother in Afghanistan that she wishes to be here today. I know what that's like. My wife and I had a son in Iraq in the Marines. And Jessica, when you see your brother... <laughs>
you're not a little misty-eyed right now, there's, you, you, you need real help, all right? I mean, I'm tearing up, and I never cry. Um, <laughs> someone came up to me after the second service, really angry. And she said to me, you should have told us before church to bring Kleenex, not right before you showed that video. I said, Nancy Viner, I miss you so much. <laughs> so if you see her, give, give her a hug for me, right? They live in Atlanta now. God connects with our deepest emotions, does he not? Look at what happens. Jesus uh, sits down to dinner with these guys, and, and he breaks bread with them, and their eyes were open, and they recognized him, right? And then he vanishes. He's, he's going to do some other things. And then they say to each other, well, that was odd. <laughs> Pass the mustard. No. Didn't our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road? Weren't, weren't our hearts filled with emotion? Weren't, weren't, you know, just everything was firing so intensely. He opened to us the scriptures. And what did they do that same hour? They got up and then went back to Jerusalem, seven hours in the dark on a desolate road where you could easily be, be beat up and robbed, right? The story of the Good Samaritan happened just down the road from this neighborhood. And here these guys are, they can't contain their emotion. They've got to get back to the 11 and let them know what's happened because it's so intellectually stimulating. No, because their hearts are about to burst with joy. And they, and, they, and they charge into the room. And what do they say? The Lord is risen indeed, right? Bunch of chauvinists. Why didn't you trust the women in the first place, right? <laughs> they told you, right? But no, you got to affirm it. But they're so excited they can't stand it. Jesus is the, the emotional Savior who connects with us in a loving and empathetic and compassionate way. But not only that, there's something much more important, and that is this, that, that the Messiah is the one who loves, yes. He, he's the one who's, who's, whose plan cares for us, yes. But he's also the one that gives life. As he's talking to his disciples about what they're going to do uh, and getting them ready to be a witness, he says this, it's written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and what? And repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, right? The Messiah is the one who gives us new life through forgiveness of sins. My, my biggest problem is not my physical death. My biggest problem is that after my physical death, I face a spiritual death. I face the judgment of God. And if my sins aren't atoned for in some way, then I'm in big, big trouble. And I deserve God's condemnation and God's wrath. But what Jesus has done, the resurrected Jesus does, is the Messiah who brings life. He brings a pathway for me to forgiveness and to new life by trusting in him. He is the living Savior. And sorrow and despair meet with not only unspeakable joy, but also with a sense of peace that he has paid the price for my sins and I can rest in him. But there's one more thing here that, that we want to note before we begin to wrap up, and that's this, that, that it's not just that God provides for us and, and, and connects with emotional and spiritual certainty, but he also gives us a purpose. He also calls us to be partners with him in ministry, right? So repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. Who's going to do that proclamation? right? Who, who's supposed to do that, right? To all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And Jesus says to the guys around him, just like he says to you and me this morning, you are witnesses of these things, right? And not just witnesses like we saw it. I could say, well, I looked around the room and I witnessed it was a pretty full room this morning and there were flowers. That's what I witnessed. I'm not talking about that. It means endorse it. It means speak to it. It means stand on the rooftops and shout it that it's true. 
that God's love and glory and mercy has overcome death and our condemnation. And we have a new and living hope through the Lord Jesus. That's the application this morning. Humanity's deepest dilemma has been resolved. Jesus has solved it. God's plan of salvation is true from beginning to end. We didn't begin to scratch the surface of all the promises that are made in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. It gives us a spiritual and emotional certainty if we trust in him. That's, that's the second question of application this morning. Is he your savior? Is your faith in him? This is, this is believe, putting my faith in Christ. Have I resolved to trust him and receive his grace by faith alone? That's what Jesus says, repentance Forgiveness of sins are preached in my name. But also for those of us who are disciples, for those of us who who this isn't the first Easter where we've celebrated our risen Lord Jesus, I hope it helps us to look at the plan. I hope it helps us to realize that what God is doing now is what God has been doing and what God is going to continue to do. Because when you and I walk out of here, we go back into lives that, that are filled with challenges. We step back into a world that is broken and that needs the healing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have next door neighbors who are delusioned. We, we have coworkers who live in fear and have a sense of lost hope. We go to school with people who see no, nothing but confusion and ambiguity and have dis- disappointment over unmet expectations and they need to see Jesus because everything else is taping a sandwich to the outside of your body when you're hungry. Will we accept the partnership that he offers? But also will we accept his loving plan for us. Because when we leave here, we don't just go into a broken world, but we go into to our own lives, which are filled with challenges and uncertainties. And Jesus doesn't say exactly from here to home how you're going to get there or how I'm going to get there as far as what journey will I travel, what path will I take. I'm sure my path will be filled with great joys, and I'm sure my path will be filled with great sorrows. It's already been both of those. Do I realize that in looking at this passage of Scripture that I can trust him? for every circumstance of my life. And then I can partner with him to share his good news with the lost and dying world. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we bless your name this morning. You are the risen King of kings and Lord of lords. You do not leave us alone in our sin, but you have redeemed our souls through your death on the cross. You have paid the price so that repentance and forgiveness of sins could be preached in your name. And you were resurrected from the dead in order to to ensure that this gift would lead us to new life. So Lord, in a world of great uncertainties, we thank you for the spiritual certainty. We thank you for that which is the rock. It is the foundation of our lives. And we pray that we would rest in you and that we would partner with you to share your good news with the world around us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.